Welcome to Inside the Rope, the podcast where we speak to the leading minds in wealth management. I'm your host, David Clark, and in this episode, I'm speaking with Daniel Chersky. Daniel is an investment professional and one of the founding members of Alcyon. We're talking to him today about a fund that he co-manages called the Alcyon High Conviction Absolute Return Fund, a fund that invests in small cap and mid-cap Australian equities, and it invests in both a long and a short style to give investors an absolute return outcome. Impressively, the fund has returned just more than 12% per annum since inception back in February 2017. And even more impressively, the performance for this financial year to date, so that's from July last year through to the end of May 2020, has been up 10.9%, whilst the index, being the ASX 200 accumulation index, has been down 10%. In this podcast, we talk with Daniel about how he thinks about investment, how the fund is structured, and how it manages risk. I encourage people to listen to the disclaimer at the end of the podcast and remind everyone that this isn't designed to be, nor is it a recommendation of one specific fund or investment. Please keep your feedback coming. You can email me at david.clark at codacapital.com. Thanks a lot and enjoy the podcast. Daniel Chersky, welcome to Inside the Rope. Thanks, David. Good to be with you. Daniel, if you could kick off as we tend to like to do on this Inside the Rope podcast is give us a bit of a background as to yourself uh, and your organisation. Sure, happy to. Um, So in terms of professional background, I started some 20 years ago as an accountant uh, at KPMG. Um, Lasted about two years there until realised, you know, accounting was not my true calling. So you know, went back, finished university and started a career in investment banking at JP Morgan, uh, where Trevor, Trevor Owenson, one of my partners at Alcyon, was the country head uh, at the time. So I spent the next eight years in investment banking and private equity roles uh, until the GFC intervened. Um, then after a, a short career break, um, you know, I actually took the opportunity to rejoin Trevor, some of the other partners in, in founding Alcyon. So, you know, fast forward 10 years, we now have 23 uh, investment professionals across four uh, four strategies, and manage capital primarily for high net worth and family office clients. And uh, give us a little bit more flavour about those products uh, that Alcyon provides and the type of areas you think uh, Alcyon adds most value. Yeah, certainly. So you know, the four strategies uh, at the firm are real estate, uh, which is the largest strategy. Um, then we have private equity, uh, we have private credit, and then the long short equity strategy is what I've run for the last five years. Um, so, you know, it's very much a bespoke investment strategy, um, catering to you know, the high net worth and family office uh, clients that we have. And, and what's the objective of that strategy, Daniel, that uh, Alcyon High Conviction Absolute Return Fund, I think we're talking about? Yeah, so, you know, that strategy, uh, long short equity strategy, as you mentioned, uh, with an absolute return focus. So, you know, our objective is to deliver strong returns through the cycle uh, and protect capital in down markets. So, you know, in in the first five years, we've managed to do that uh, with no down years, which which is obviously very pleasing. Uh, In terms of some strategy detail, um, it's a fairly concentrated strategy. So we have up to 20 stocks on the long side, but really 
you know, the top 10 would account for 50 to 60% of the fund's capital. Um, so we're really looking uh, to find three or four compelling opportunities per year. Uh, and when we find those, uh, we look to take pretty, you know, substantial position sizing, um, you know, with, with that capital. So, you know, the strategy is built around, you know, intensive bottom-up, you know, company research, um, you know, given we're taking those types of position sizes, we need to know our companies and management teams really well and stay really close to them. So in terms of opportunity set, uh, the focus is ASX uh, listed uh, small mid caps. Uh, in addition to buying shares on market, you know, at times we've also invested via convertible notes or preference shares um, and private placements with options at times. So, you know, our ability to structure those investments comes, you know, from my private investing background, where those sort of structures are, are much more commonplace. And, you know, the, really the rationale there for us with those instruments is, um, you know, to reduce our downside risk uh, or amplify our upside, uh, which really feeds into the concept of, you know, risk-adjusted return that, that drives a lot of our investment thinking. And Daniel, how small are you prepared to get? Uh, how do you define that small cap area? Yeah, so, you know, small mid-cap um, is really, uh, you know, where most of our investment sits. So that's ASX 100 to 300 but the mandate is pretty flexible. So we found you know, uh, good opportunities at the much smaller end, sometimes as small as you know, 30 to 50 million. Uh, obviously position sizing would be much smaller for those types of investments. Uh, but also we've um, you know, found some good opportunities in ASX 100 stocks from time to time as well. And Daniel, how are you creating the absolute return focus of that? Is that running a short book as well? Absolutely. So, um, you know, our net exposure uh, since inception has averaged about 65%. So we've always got some protection built into the portfolio via either a book of short positions, um, you know, or some uh, portfolio hedges uh, at times. And, you know, that net exposure moves around, you know, fairly significantly depending on our view of the market and some of the risks, uh, you know, that we feel, um, you know, are there and obviously, you know, into February, March, we, um, we made some pretty big adjustments to that positioning. Can you talk to us a little bit about the risk management of that short book? Because I think we've seen and spoken to a number of managers that have talked about, you know, on the long side, if you get something wrong, the problem goes away. Um, if you get something wrong on the short side, uh, the problem just gets bigger. How do you think about that? And how do you manage that from a risk management perspective? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so, you know, firstly, in terms of positioning sizing, as I've mentioned, on the long side, we can be relatively concentrated. So it's not uncommon for some of our bigger positions to be up to 10% of the fund's capital. On the short side, that'll be substantially lower. So, you know, one to 2% is, um, is pretty normal. Um, and also in regards to stop loss, again, on the long side, will um, you know, very much be guided by you know, our deep, deep dive analysis and, um, and back that view and not really be um, you know, as concerned around stock losses where we feel like we understand you know, why the stock is going down. But with short positions, we give a much less rope. Um, you know, we respect you know, moves to new highs um, and you know, we, uh, we, take, you know, we take action accordingly. And you mentioned previously uh, that it's a very intensive, deep process. Perhaps you could use either a company in the portfolio or a past investment in the portfolio to give us an example of how you 
first identified and then went through the process that led to you finally making an investment in the company? Yeah, happy to. So, you know, an example um, that happened uh, recently or in the last, um, you know, uh, 12 months is Bingo Industries. So, pardon me? The waste recycling business? Exactly, the waste management business uh, that has a very strong position in Sydney uh, and, and increasingly Victoria. So, you know, in 2018, the company downgraded earnings by 15% on what we thought was a cyclical um, trough in the housing market, particularly in the apartment market in Sydney. Uh, but the stock, um, you know, halved literally overnight. So, you know, that piqued our interest uh, and got us looking at the stock. Uh, you know, most people uh, in Sydney would know bingo for their bright orange trucks and all the skip bins all over the place. Uh, but when we did the work, what, what was really underappreciated was the vast network of waste infrastructure facilities that the company had built up. So these are waste processing, recycling uh, and landfill facilities in metro locations. And these are highly strategic waste infrastructure assets, very difficult to replicate due to the licensing requirements as well as the availability of land. And really that network conferred a really significant advantage um, you know, on the company over its competitors. So we took an initial mission. Um, and then commenced a, you know, a period of pretty intense um, due diligence over the next month. Um, you know, that involved meeting with the company uh, multiple times. Uh, we visited all their major facilities in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, we managed to get in front of most of their competitors um, and then obviously uh, did all the financial modelling and valuation work. And you know, that led us to conclude the stock was you know, materially undervalued. Um, so we scaled that position up. It became our largest position. And, you know, pleasingly over the following 12 months, you know, the stock tripled and, you know, earnings recovered and uh, off it went to new highs. So, you know, that, that's, I guess, an opportunity um, or a situation where, you know, we can be opportunistic and move pretty quickly and try and take a, you know, a differentiated view, which was quite, you know, quite different to consensus at the time. And... Daniel, can you maybe talk on the short side about an example of how the thesis comes about and how you build a position and think about that on the other side of the, the portfolio? Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the examples that's worked really well for us was Get Swift. Uh, I think that's a company that, you know, uh, got a lot of headlines um, in the past uh, and, and, and recently as well. Uh, so that came about in a really interesting way because we actually got along the stock initially. Um, the company was displacement. Uh, we got access to, uh, it was in the food delivery um, um, and last mile delivery space, which was, you know, really quite a hot space at the time. Um, you know, there seemed to be really good momentum behind the company. So we took a small position in that placement. The stock did really well. The company, you know, the share price doubled. Um, you know, and we, um, you know, we met with management um, to, to try and understand, uh, I guess, a bit more about it. And, you know, uh, that interaction was, you know, really telling for us, um, you know, in terms of um, the sort of the, the people driving the bus. And, you know, uh, we pretty quickly formed the view that, um, you know, this was a really uh, highly promotional management team. Um, and, you know, when we asked them about their technology, which they, you know, claimed was their big competitive advantage, it, you know, it seemed, you know, relatively basic to us. Uh, we also spoke to some other competitors in that last mile space and, you know, formed the view there wasn't really anything special at all about what the company was doing. 
um, and you know the the management interaction was you know really quite um, quite a red flag for us. So you know at that point we sold out of the company and you know we made you know reasonable money. The stock doubled uh, and watched the stock uh, you know double again. So really the stock um, you know quadrupled uh, and then some and you know really had a billion dollar valuation uh, with almost no revenue at that point in time and you know a bunch of you know relatively high level uh, announcements. So, yeah, at that point, um, we took a, a short position in the company, um, and uh, you know, relatively soon after that, uh, you know, the the financial review uh, expose, um, you know, was the catalyst that really, um, you know, uh, put a spotlight on um, on the company. And from then, I think it collapsed, you know, 80, 90% pretty quickly, and we we closed the short and moved on. It's a good story. Um, Daniel, looking at your numbers at the end of the May uh, update report, there's certainly an impressive set of numbers with a bit over 12% per annum compound annual growth rate against an index which is up 5% per annum. Uh, I think what is really noticeable looking at these numbers is if you look at the last year and the last three months in particular as the market has grappled with the effects of COVID-19, uh, the last three months, you've been up 4.6%, while the market's been off 9.92%. Um, how have you been able to do that? Yeah, David, it's, um, you know, obviously we're pleased with that. And, um, you know, I think it all started with uh, January when coronavirus started to um, hit the news headlines. We started researching, researching it in January as well. Um, part of that process involved engaging you know, engaging with um, med experts, so infectious disease experts, epidemiologists, um, you know, both domestically and offshore. And the key insight uh, that we got from uh, those engagements is that, you know, based on, on the knowledge that they had, um, you know, the virus um, really, um, based on what it, the, the biology of the virus uh, and also the interconnected nature of the world, the fact that millions of people move in and out of China every month, um, they were all uh, pretty consistently of the view that there was no prospect of that virus being contained to China, which at that point in time was, um, you know, was the view of the market. So, um, you know, we decided that we would, um, you know, listen to them um, and, and form the view that, um, you know, if that was the case, then, you know, this was really a, a black swan event of significant proportions was going to affect the global economy in really meaningful ways. So, you know, at that point, we also surveyed other market participants, you know, peers on the on the long side, as well as, you know, the sell side. Um, and, you know, it was pretty obvious that the market wasn't pricing really anything for that sort of event. And, you know, it was pretty evident by the fact that the stock market was continuing to make new highs every single day. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it was a really unusual time. It's not often that, you know, you get to sit there and, and think that you have some sort of edge on the market, um, you know, or some sort of really differentiated view. But it turned out that was was the case and at that point we realized this was a pretty asymmetric bet and we had to take you know decisive action uh, which we did so we hedged the portfolio um, in a number of ways we took some um, short data put options um, some index futures and, and a basket of stock specific shorts um, and you know pleasingly that that protected the portfolio over February and March um, quite effectively and Daniel a lot of uh industry commentators, uh, people we talk to in markets have expressed their concerns 
about the valuations today of markets and that uh, the actual the actual valuations don't necessarily represent the underlying uh, health of either the companies of those investments or the economy more broadly. How are you thinking about this portfolio at the moment and moving forward? Yeah, it's a great question. And that's obviously something that's forefront of our mind. And as we've watched this, you know, pretty, pretty amazing rally, um, you know, the last three months. So, you know, I guess I'd describe our overall approach at the moment as cautious and, and the net exposure and the fund reflects that. Um, you know, the question I guess everyone's got is the, you know, is this rally justified? And, you know, if you take a step back three months ago in March when the market was bottoming, um, you know, we had a virus that, that seemed very much out of control. We had the government that was, you know, preparing us for six or more months of lockdown um, and the policy was still being formulated, um, you know, from the government to try and combat this. So, you know, what then happened is, um, you know, social distancing proved very effective. Virus numbers dropped away really quickly. Uh, JobKeeper and other policies also proved quite effective. And so we've opened up much earlier than I think the market has expected. So that's provided some confidence um, that there could be a robust economic recovery. Um, you know, it's been reinforced by some encouraging sort of anecdotal evidence. You know, shopping centres are full. Some retailers are reporting some, you know, pretty robust sales numbers in May coming out of lockdown. Uh, so the question, I guess, we're trying to ask ourselves is, you know, are those positive results both on the virus uh, and the economy sustainable? You know, and what happens in October, for example, when JobKeeper and some of those other temporary measures begin to be wound back, you know, that'll really tell us how earnings will help and therefore the valuations are justifiable uh, or not. Um, because based on any sort of traditional valuation metrics, the market is absolutely fully valued here uh, and the outlook for earnings is, is fairly uncertain. So that makes us cautious, um, offsetting that, um, you know, we've got a very powerful tailwind of liquidity coming from central banks. It's highly likely that interest rates are going to be at the zero bound for a few years, at least. And that underpins valuations of equities and other asset classes. So we've got this tug of war, if you will, between liquidity and fundamentals. Uh, certainly the last few months, liquidity has won the day. Uh, but we think the upcoming earnings season, for example, is going to be pretty important to see how, um, you know, how strong that recovery will be. Um, you know, and whether those support policies when they come off in, um, you know, in September, um, you know, will have an impact as well. So, you know, the way we're positioning the portfolio um, is to participate in the gains should, you know, should the market continue to, you know, sort of climb that wall, that wall of worry, as they say, uh, but, you know, equally have a pretty strong focus on downside protection here, given, you know, how far the rallies come in, in a relatively short period of time. And Daniel, are there any areas of the market that you think to yourself, wow, that's a really attractive industry or part of the market I'd like to get involved with and counter to that, are there any parts of the market that you say, look, we just won't get involved in that area? Yeah, I mean, we're fairly sector agnostic. We, you know, we focus very much on the, on the company and the opportunity. Um, but, you know, certain things that appeal to us at the moment are, you know, companies in non-discretionary sectors that, you know, we think will have pretty defensive earning streams, uh, even in a, you know, a tough economy. So, you know, things like Freedom Foods we've been adding to recently. Um, we've also been adding to specialty uh, REITs. Um, these, you know, are REITs with 
the sustainable rental streams that you know have been impacted and we expect them to be impacted um, going forward so again in a zero rate world we expect those sort of income streams to um, to appreciate in value so we've been acquiring some of those um, and also some high quality businesses that you know, have dominant market positions really strong balance sheets but the industry that they're in will mean that they will be you know pretty severely affected potentially for one or two years due, due to coronavirus um, and you know we've been buying some of those because you know they're still um, trading at a relatively decent uh, discount compared to you know normal times whereas you know a lot of other stocks are not and daniel what's the size of the fund that you're managing at the moment yeah, so the size of the fund is approximately $100 million now. Um, we kicked off three years ago with $50 million. Um, and, uh, you know, in terms of the, the strategy capacity, um, you know, we've always thought that to be three to $400 million, um, as we play in that small to mid case and we take relatively concentrated positions. We want to remain sort of pretty nimble and flexible. So, you know, that, that's um, how we look at uh, fund capacity, but, you know, always looking to, um, you know, remain pretty flexible. Fantastic. Well, Daniel, that's been very helpful. Uh, are there any other thoughts in conclusion or wrapping up that you think would be helpful for people looking at investments in this area uh, or, or a fund like this should know about? Um, yeah, I think it's important to, you know, I guess differentiate a little bit between uh, some of the long short fund products out there. Um, you know, obviously you've got, um, you know, some of the, uh, some of the funds that utilize a lot of leverage and will have very high grosses and, and also potentially, you know, quite high net exposures. Um, and then, you know, uh, funds like us, where, as I've said, um, since, since net exposure has averaged about 65%. So we have downside protection built in. And even on the on the gross, uh, we've rarely gone above 100%. So you know we don't really um, utilise leverage. We try and you know focus on adding value via stock selection. Um, so you know that um, has held us in pretty good stead going into this um, downturn. Um, and um, you know we hope uh, we hope to um, you know continue along that path. Well, Daniel, congratulations for the performance of the fund to date. It uh, has been stellar. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks, David. Really uh, appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Inside the Rope with David Clark. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with David by visiting codacapital.com. Any views expressed in this recording represent the personal opinions of the speaker and do not represent the view of any other party. If this recording contains reference to any financial products, that reference does not constitute advice or recommendation and may not be relied upon. Listeners in Australia are encouraged to visit www.moneysmart.gov.au to obtain information regarding financial advice and investments.